Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. I would like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk, and I am your host, Zuby. Today, we've got a special guest. We've got my man, Bobby Dino, who's got an interesting story and perspective to share with us all today. So, Bobby, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Zuby. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. So why don't you introduce yourself? Tell the people a little bit about you. Uh, sure. My name is Bobby Dino. I am known on, on Twitter for being a, a author. And a little bit more in-depth to that is what I write about, which is uh, experiences that I have had from my past being incarcerated. Uh, when I was a kid, I got into some trouble was running with the wrong crowd, not really thinking about my actions or taking responsibility for anything. Uh, I ended up hurting someone and going to prison for it. Uh, while I was in prison, I got in more trouble and made my time longer. Uh, and I eventually had uh, an epiphany of sorts, uh, a self-realization that if, if I kept going on this path, it was just going to lead me to my death or being in prison forever. Mm. So I started turning my life around, uh, made a conscious effort to change the way I acted and who I was, and uh, started sharing my story with others. People found it inspirational, and here I am today. That's awesome, man. That sounds really positive. So if you don't mind, can we take it, take it a little back? So where are you from? Where did you, where did you grow up? What was your childhood oh, sure. like? So I'm born and raised in, in California. There's, there's a, a place in California called Anaheim, which is where Disneyland's at. And mm -hmm. that's, that's where I was born and raised. Home uh, of the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> the Mighty Ducks are over there too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I grew up there. Um, my, my father actually died before I was born in some kind of freak accident. My, my mother was pregnant with me, but she was a, a young girl that had a bunch of undiagnosed mental health issues. So right from the start, it was just a very, uh, tumultuous 
kind of bad existence and it mm. didn't really help in the nurture stage of, of uh, <laughs> bringing me towards greatness as an adult. So there were some uphill battles as a kid. And um, I mean, there were moments of happiness. I had my grandparents who, who loved and cared about me and, and, and taught me a lot of good lessons in life. Uh, but when I, when I think back on my childhood, it's, it's, there's patches almost that seem like they're missing sometimes. And I think the reason that that is, uh, is because I just rather forget it. It's gotcha. something that, that it's just not, and, and that doesn't mean that I can't discuss it or that I'm, you know, it causes me some type of physical, physical pain or, or mental anguish. It's just that it not the greatest time to remember, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So what so what were you what were you like as a kid when you were in school all that what was that experience like for you? Well, I think uh when I was a kid uh growing up, you know, preteen years it was the 80s, like like the early 80s and, and uh I didn't I didn't become a teenager until uh 90 I think. So mm -hmm. so part of the Part of the things that are very commonplace today that we, the diagnoses we, we tend to throw on people yeah. were either unheard of or brand new back then. One of them being ADD or okay. ADHD. That was a term that had been coined, but nobody really bought it. It was okay. just like, it was, they thought it was kind of a BS diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with that from, from a young kid and, and with the ADD. So a lot of my childhood uh, was was kind of spent bouncing back and forth between things like not not really uh, not really a, a lot of uh, being steered in good directions to where I could focus that energy for good. Uh, a lot of that didn't happen until later. So it was just me being a crazy kid uh, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> until, until my later teen years. Yeah. OK. Did you have uh, any siblings? Yeah, I'm the oldest out yeah. of five kids. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah, they're they're all ha I mean, because my my father being deceased, you know, they're all half brother and sister. Gotcha. Um, and we, it's kind of a complicated relationship between uh, my mother and I and the, the new family she wanted to start versus what was kind of left in her past being me, uh, sure. which, which was why I lived with my grandparents. Um, so I did have a relationship with, with my brothers and sisters and, but it's not, necessarily typical of of what you would think a relationship like we didn't grow up together Let me i understand like that yeah yeah they knew me as their older brother but it's not like i was you know their older brother if that makes sense yeah i understand man yeah okay yeah, so. you you touched at the beginning about um getting into some trouble when you were when you were a young man can you go into a little bit more detail about what happened you don't need to you know if you don't oh, want yeah, to it, sure. doesn't, it doesn't need it doesn't need to be the the nitty-gritty but you know no, how no, no. how how old, how old you were, how it, how it sort of came about. Sure. When I was a freshman in high school, I started playing guitar and, mm -hmm. and, uh, I had already been singing. And so I got into bands, right. And, and kind of got this, uh, quasi fame, you know, in my, in my area. And, sure. and, and so it, it led to this kind of, uh, hedonistic lifestyle because I was really living unchecked mm -hmm. to where I just thought I could do anything and laws didn't apply to me and rules didn't apply to me because I was the star and everybody kissed my ass anyway. Mm. Uh, so what ended up happening or kiss my rear end rather. So what ended up happening was, uh, I continued to just not follow rules, not, uh, 
pay attention to any type of law, any type of anything. Um, and one day I got in an altercation with someone while I was under the influence of, of some drugs. Mm. And during this altercation, an innocent bystander was hurt by me. Okay, sure. Um, someone that had nothing to do with the altercation. It was someone that was an innocent because of my reckless behavior and because of like the reckless choices that I was making. Now I had just seriously caused some some harm and some turmoil in somebody's life that was totally unneeded. And by extension of that, people that I hadn't even met, you know, people that I had no idea of, of whatever, because, you know, family, it, it, of course, it's a circle, it's a ripple that goes out. Right. Yeah. So, so I ended up getting in trouble for that and still not learning a lesson. Mm. So then, so then I go to, uh, to prison and I, and I think, uh Oh, and, and by the way, in prison, I don't know how it is in other countries, but in, in California, the prison system is, is, is very racial. So not necessarily like it's set up like that by staff per se, like yeah. by administration, but among the inmates or, or oh, the yeah. convicts, everything is race. Everything. Sure. And, and yeah. I mean, I mean, to an extreme that I had never experienced in my life before. That was probably the biggest eye opener when I went. I, I went in there and I thought, oh, well, I got to run around with the white guys and do whatever they're going to tell me or else I'm going to get hurt. Right. Mm. So that's what I did is I, I was a I don't want to say I was a kid because I was I was had just turned 23. So I was a man. I was just a young man. Um, I ran around with them and did all types of bad and enforced rules and and ended up getting more time. So now that I'm in prison, I get more time added on top of my time. So I'd gone to, to prison with five years mm -hmm. and now had turned it into 11. Okay. <laughs> right? So yeah. it, it was it was going to be five to begin with. It was just five to begin with, right? Okay. And while I was in there, I got another six added on. Okay. So yeah. So it it um after that had happened, I there was yeah, a little bit of you you say depression, but what it was is me feeling bad for the circumstances I'd created for myself. Yeah. And then I kind of, you know, was doing some soul searching and 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 I started adding uh, self-help books into my, my reading itinerary. Cause I, I, I read about two or three books a week while I was in there. I mean, I just was constantly reading and, and from reading that I started realizing like, Whoa, man, you got a lot of error in your life. And, um, I came to the conclusion that I had to, I had to flip it. I had to do something. Yeah. And, and so, uh, that's what I did. How far, how far in with, were you when you had that sort of epiphany or realization, would you say? I was about halfway. I was about five, five years in. Okay. Yeah. And, and the scary part, and I, I talk about this, not in the book that I'm releasing, I'm, I'm working on a, on a memoir and, and I, I talk about, there's a chapter in my memoir on this. Um, but the scary part is, 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 or was people don't like apostates in prison. When you have the rules that you go by and you have things that set that are set up like, hey, you're not allowed to do this. Don't do this. Don't do that. And then you have someone that says that. Ah, forget that. I'm not doing any of that stuff. They're yeah. looked on kindly. You know, they're an outlier that needs to be dealt with. Gotcha. But that's essentially what I had to do, because in my mind, I had come to the conclusion that I was dead already. It was just one was going to happen more quickly than the other. So either I had to quit running around with these guys and be my own man and live my own life to where I was going to be a success 
or I was just going to end up dying there. So I, I had to call a meeting with the whites. I had to get, uh, go get it their shot or go get it. He was my shot caller at the time too, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but had to ask him, Hey, I'd like a meeting called, uh, this is what I'd like to do. This guy knew me for some years already. And he was just kind of like, Whoa, you sure you want to do that? You know? And I said, yeah, I, I got to do what I got to do. And yeah. I, I went to the meeting and, 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 uh, there was, even though there was more than, than 30 in the building at the time, it was probably about 30 white guys that showed up. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I just told them all, I said, Hey, I got to live my life. I got to, I got to do what I have to do to be a success. I'm not going to follow anybody else's orders and, and live anybody else's program. I'm going to do my mm-hmm. own program. And if anybody's got anything to say about it, let's go get it over with right now. Yeah. Because in my mind, like I said earlier, it was either I was going to die there or I'd just die later. So yeah, I just had to make my move. And and God had his hand on me because I came out the other end. All right. So yeah. How did people, how did the people, the other members of your, your group at the time, how did they, how did they respond to that? Immediately, uh, someone started to speak up. Uh, and that's what prompted the, we can go handle it right now. If anybody's got a, because there okay. were a couple of the youngsters that were like, oh, you know, started yeah, to yeah. kind of, uh, it's always the youngsters. <laughs> the okay. old guys are, are usually a little bit more mellow. It's the, it's the young guys that, you know, want to cause the havoc. But yeah. um, uh, immediately it, it was, it was accepted um, mm-hmm. for the long term. Uh, it made me somewhat of an, of an outcast. Uh, I was I was looked on by my own people as as a race trader, uh, sure. As as like uh, you know so and not even to say I was looked like another race wouldn't even be accurate because I was actually kind of less than another race because at least the other races were sticking with their own. You know, I, I gotcha. I chose to. So there were people that from that were following the the prison life mentality uh, that that weren't too appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however what I had done actually prompted a few other guys down the line to follow my lead. So there was, there was that to where it was like, well, Hey, if it's helping other people and, and helping out with them, that's, that's great too. But it was definitely at the, it was, it was scary in the sense that, I mean, you never really know what's going to happen in prison anyway, but, but when I threw that into the mix, it, it, it was just, I was worried for my life. Yeah. 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 What was your, what was the, I'm curious, I'm very, I am very curious about what your experience in there was like, you know, cause thank God I've never, uh, I've never experienced, I've never experienced it, sure. but it's one of those things where I think everybody has their, has an image of it in their imagination, whether it's from movies or documentaries or books or whatever, you know, that most of those things are going to be based on, based on reality and based on the truth, but mm-hmm. you never know how much of it is exaggeration or fabricated to make the, to make a better story and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, what, like what you just said there about it being, being very racially divided. So that's something I've heard of from a lot of sources. I mean, you see it in films, you've, you've got, you know, the the Hispanic gangs, you've got the black gangs, you've got the white gangs. And it seems that people do split along those racial lines, not even just in America. It seems like that on a global level, as far as I'm aware. But yeah, I mean, just in terms of the, I mean, you were in there for a, for a long time. Like, what was your what was your routine like? How was it like dealing with the other the other prisoners, the guards, all that, just all that kind of stuff? 
dealing with other guards, like when it came to like they call them COs, uh, corrections officers, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with with those guys, you didn't want to deal with those guys. If you okay. ever did have to deal with those guys, you try to bring someone with you so that they could be the second to say, oh, he wasn't snitching right now. He was just saying this or that or whatever. Okay. uh, Yeah. You didn't want to be seen talking to cops. And another thing too, why you didn't want to deal with the cops uh, in there is because um, they were just as bad, if not worse than the convicts. Uh, Mm. They, they used to do like uh, like gladiator fights. Like you take it, you take one gang member and you, uh, and, and a different gang member, and then you throw them on the yard. And, the, and the, okay. they, they had this big thing. You can actually research it. And anybody listening can actually research it as well. In California, they called it the green wall and they called it the green wall because the CEOs uh, wear green jumpsuits to work. Okay. And, and it was the green wall because when people were trying to investigate it, they all, you know, how cops are, they, stick together you know and so uh so it was really tough to kind of crack the the badness that was going on but i guess what i'm trying to get at is that there was a lot of corruption going on with them too so you wanted to stay away from them you didn't want to get on their radar so to speak other convicts believe it or not it's it's not something to where everybody's trying to out tough guy everybody else Um, yeah people are actually very respectful of each other respectful of each other's space you know yeah let's say you bump into someone oh excuse me you know or yeah it's it's a respectful thing and and part of that is is because you don't know who you're dealing with i I, I mean you are in a place to where uh it is the worst of the worst that society has to offer yeah so so you want to be careful um but for for the most part as as far as my particular routine went uh I'd, I'd wake up, usually got up pretty early, do some reading, uh, go, go to chow with like a breakfast chow or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, go do some, some working out after then. Uh, I did have a, a, uh, you, you get jobs in there. They only pay you like five cents or 10 cents an hour, but you, you, <laughs> you get a job. And yeah. uh, I have, I had a clerk's position. Um, so I'd go and do my clerking. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, becomes very much like Groundhog Day. I also had an acoustic guitar. I would play play guitar, okay. kind of pass the time, read, yeah, reading and playing guitar. But it becomes very much like like that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. Do, are you familiar with that movie? I'm familiar with the concept. I haven't it, seen it, but I just, know the concept. Yeah, he wakes up and every day the alarm goes off. It starts with the same song that was playing. It's just the same day over and over. Um, yeah, and and that's and that's a lot like what it was. Um. The movies don't really get it right. I ha- I've yet to see a movie that's nailed it. When you see stuff like fight scenes or riots or or any, none of that is like how it looks on movies. That's not, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's all, I don't wish it on anyone either. Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. No, I would, I would be, I would be, I would be surprised. Yeah. So I guess two questions. What One, what was the, what did you personally find the most challenging or most arduous thing to deal with there and then two what kept you what kept you positive what kept you motivated i mean it sounds like obviously you were one of the rare people who made that personal decision and took that responsibility like okay you know what this is not what i want for my life i'm going to make a change i'm going to make sure i get out of here i don't i don't want to die in this place i want to go on and do something positive and rebuild my life so I guess, yeah, number one, what was the biggest challenge? And then number two, what was the North Star, shall we say, that kept you positive? 
I like that. The North Star, Polaris. Yeah. So the biggest uh, the biggest challenge for me in there was was staying safe. It's an area to where, like I said, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, things can happen that are uh, out of your control. Uh, riots can happen. You've always kind of have to have your head on a swivel, so to speak. I, I found that 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 the hypervigilance that one had to maintain while okay. while you're in there, at least if you wanted to be safe. There yeah, were yeah, some, yeah. don't get me wrong, that not everybody was like me or like others. You know, there are some that went in there and they didn't want to work out at all and they stayed sloppy, you know, or big or or they never looked or they didn't pay attention. And those were the guys that were usually victimized. Okay. Or, so yeah. it was like I didn't, you know, I'm not gonna be one of those guys. Sure. Um that was difficult. I would say right up there with that difficultness was the limiting factor that the racial uh, divide put on the way that I interacted with people. Okay. I, I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like that. I couldn't not talk to somebody or mm. that you and I couldn't talk because sure. other people would frown on it. Like, I don't care, you know, and that's not, and it was very weird because Orange County, even though it's known as kind of being a, a conservative County in Southern California, Mm -hmm. It's very liberal with like its performing arts department. And, and, and I mean, there were kids in my school that were gay and out, you know, when I was growing up, there was all, yeah. all the different type of ethnicities. And for, for, for those of you who are living now and going, Oh, gay and out during the early nineties, it still wasn't cool to be a guy and be gay no. and out with it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was one of those places to where it was like, man, it was cool. So Going from that type of environment and then going to it was that was super difficult for me because yeah. I just wasn't used to to I'm more of a content of, of the character type guy, you know what as, I mean? As and, as as we all should be. Yeah, and, and it that's it was and people when you don't really think about that or meditate on that, it's really something that'll kind of trip you out when it's forced on you. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was definitely difficult. Uh, but staying alive, it takes the the cake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Strenuous or, or stressful uh, situations. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a that does sound stressful. I mean, that's uh, if there's an if there's a number one priority in anyone's life that can oh yeah stress them, then that's that's going to be it. Yeah, you know, and as far as staying positive, um, for me, I knew there was never a a question in my mind, like, Oh, I need to kill myself now or something like that. That, that was never something that was, cause I've always known that doesn't solve anything. You know? No. Uh, the, the thing that kept me positive was that I knew that what I had upstairs and what I was learning and what I was going towards that couldn't be taken from me. I knew yeah. it would be over. Um, I knew that if, as long as I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, like I would mm -hmm. make it yeah. And, and having that kind of knowledge uh, and that faith in yourself, I guess I had mm -hmm. faith in myself that that yeah. probably helped a lot too. Okay, man. No, that sounds positive. I want to, I want to move on to um, some much more positive stuff in a second. Sure. What one thing? Yeah, no, I don't want I don't want to stay, uh, stay on the, uh, on the past forever, man. One thing I am That's curious right. though about is why, I don't know if you can answer this question, but why do you think it is? that in a place like prison people fall back on these racial categories and divisions again do you think it's just the natural tribalism of I think, people i think tribalism's got a, a huge huge thing to do with it 
Um, but I, I think part of it too is it makes it easier for people to identify, which falls back on tribalism, but being yeah. able to identify your, your squad, your team, mm. so to speak, especially like if there's a war, it's real easy to tell who's white and who's Mexican or, or who's white, and who's black, you know? Yeah. Like I, so, so I think that there's some of that too, but it's definitely a tribalism thing. It's, it's yeah. people understanding you and people, you know, I had, I had this guy that I was friends. He was, he was a black guy. He was a lifer, but he was, he's there for, for murder. Uh, his name was Al. And this guy was, was such a trip in like what he knew. Okay. Mm. And, and how and he was smart, but he was a hustler. Like this, he, the dude was a hustler on the street, you know, but just hustler. But he and I would have these conversations sometimes because of how he had been for him the the racial divide didn't start in prison okay and i can speak on this growing up in southern california but there's areas like watts and compton mm-hmm. and uh areas down there that that are known to be predominantly like black neighborhoods and maybe yeah, like yeah. That. and that's where the real racial divide starts gotcha for, so for so it's already it's already there and right. then it gets it gets amplified and i guess it's the most low resolution category, I guess, that you can group people into. If you can right. just look at her, you can look in a room and you can be like, okay, uh, how much yeah. melanin's everyone got? You can be like, okay, cool. You're the, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. it's silly. It's one of the things that I, I find most, um, uh, pesky and annoying, even in, even in the modern day world, of course, you know, racism is, is at, at an all time low really. Um, which I think everybody, everybody should be grateful for. But sometimes when people try to almost like bring it back into the conversation unnecessarily. I'm kind of like, look, can't we just move on past this? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's so low resolution. It's like, like you were talking about content of character. It, I don't know. I, I, I find it so bizarre and silly in some way. It's not like surprising that people still latch onto it to, to some degree. And I guess right. to some degree, it's not like, it's not all negative, mm-hmm. but when people, it's one of those things that can, can easily go, too far and as soon as people start dividing and categorizing again it's just like oh like we're going we're going in reverse like what's the what's the point of this like i just don't and there's nothing wrong with like if you think somebody has similar experiences as you right there's nothing wrong with wanting to hook up with that person or wanting to hang out with that person i mean look people that that come out of wars right Mm -hmm. i mean oftentimes they'll that's how biker gangs started that's true. Yeah, the, you know, these guys, they came back from war. They wanted to hang out with each other, you know, feel that brotherhood. Mm-hmm. So there, I don't think there's nothing or there's anything wrong with, with trying to find somebody who shares similar experiences. I think that when you start to define yourself by outside factors instead of what's going on by the inside, that that's where you're just and that's whatever outside factor. That's like, true. Yeah. Like whether it's your skin color, whether mm-hmm. it's where you believe heaven is. Uh, what political divide you want to fall on, mm-hmm. any of that. If you start identifying yourself by outside ideals instead yeah. of by inside character or honor, you're doomed. Yeah, it's true. And you can't have an in-group without having an out-group. So if you think that, it's, it's true. I mean, if you think, okay, this is my, this is my in-group and mm-hmm. I identify specifically as this and I want to associate with people who are this, mm-hmm. then that means that Everybody else, which who's normally going to be the majority, you're going to typically look down on in some way, shape, or form. And yeah, 
that's not good. You know, we can't get rid of labels and categories completely, and I don't think we would want to. But again, it's a, it's a fine line between being sane and mm-hmm. doing it in a good way versus falling back into, you know, fighting over dumb crap, basically. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that was very liberating, and I should mention this, earlier when we spoke about when I had to go to the whites, they call themselves the woods inside okay. of, in, in prison, it's short for Peckerwood. Okay, so, okay. So, so whites are known as woods. So, okay. uh, so when I had the meeting with the woods and, uh, did that, it, it, it was scary. Don't get me wrong. And there was this, there was this, uh, intense, uh, period of time over probably a good couple weeks mm. to where I, it was the most anxious and on edge I've ever been in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was just sure there was a knife coming for me. You know what yeah. I mean? It was just, but that being said. Once I made the move to free myself from them and was free, I could talk to Al anytime I wanted. Okay. I, I could go, ha- I, if I wanted to work out, you know, or, or I, I speak Spanish. Okay. So if I wanted okay, to cool. practice my Spanish with, with the Mexican guys, I could go sit with them and, the, and watch Spanish TV with them and have a drink off of one of their cups of coffee or something like that, because I wasn't bound by anybody's rules anymore. Yeah, so I, I guess what I'm, if there's a lesson that I can kind of impart by that is even something that's super duper scary, that is a blind leap of faith kind of mm-hmm. can have these rewards that you wouldn't have even imagined and just completely free you. Now yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, they do say the, the truth will set you free. And I think <laughs> that, um, you know, telling the truth and being honest is, I think it's one of the strongest things a person can do if you know, okay, this is genuinely this is genuine what I'm feeling. This is where my head's at. This is where my heart's at. And you tell the truth. I do feel like, you know, I believe in God myself. I must feel like God God will protect you in mm-hmm. those moments from right. whatever whatever harm could come from telling the truth. You right. know, you'll you'll typically be protected, at least in the long term. Sometimes in the short term it might seem like, ooh, maybe yeah. I should maybe I shouldn't have said that. But then in the long term, it seems like these things always work out. Martyrs martyrs aren't made by speaking falsehoods. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, saints, you, you don't become a saint by telling lies, you know? So, yeah. so yeah, that's, that's definitely, I, I agree with that as well. I agree that, that whether if it's in that moment or if it's somewhere down the line, that if you're, if you're being honorable, have that integrity, speak the truth that God will put his hand on you. I yeah, think that. I do. yeah, I do believe that. So, so let's move on. Uh, let's move on past that. So, mm-hmm. how old were you when you? How old were you when you came out of uh, prison? Uh, so I turned thirty three that year. Uh, so I was thirty two okay. still, but a few months later, I turned thirty three. Okay. What was your first move? I guess. So before I came home, part of what I would recommend to anybody the the flying by the seat of the pants thing is usually never a good thing you want to plan and what i did was i had planned before i came i'd come home while i was still in there i got into like vocational welding uh did a few college courses uh got in contact with some relatives that were in a in a in a union a, a type of construction union and and i recommend that for people with records because unions especially construction they they aren't they don't care if you got a record or not they just want you okay. to show up and work i went that route and and when i first got out it was going to my place of residence which i had already established mm-hmm. uh spending a little bit of time with my uh 
then then girlfriend but uh now wife yeah <laughs> and and uh just making sure things were were in line i didn't want to spend a lot of time i know it it seems like you know oh man you were in you were behind bars for 10 years you go on a vacation and, and go do this and go do that but it, mm. for me it was like i had a plan set up and i wanted to step into that plan so there wasn't any kind of weird deviation because as much as i had planned for coming home coming home was was a shock mm. uh, yeah well i mean it, it must be i mean ten, 10 years in any place is a long time yeah and so coming back there must be i mean even just the way that the the world would have changed yeah no you know what i mean like i don't know how much access to technology and internet and all that stuff you have inside but um i'd imagine just coming out and just seeing the world again everything would be pretty different they have tvs in there that we're allowed to watch you know and and, yeah and they have newspapers and stuff so so you keep up with with the current technology and what's going on in the world that way but what really changes it for you or what was the the kind of eye-opener for me was the actions of of the people the way people talked the way people dressed uh the the way they enter the way people interact with with one another okay that was things that were markedly different in what sort of way well let's i was just actually speaking with my wife uh, about some of this last night so I, I can use some of this as an example uh with with the younger crowd and the dating scene in particular you have something nowadays called tinder right the oh tinder gosh yeah happy to say that happy to say that i've never used it but yeah. i have heard of it. yeah <laughs> me either no but but, uh, <laughs> but that being said uh before i had left you had to put in a little bit of work there was a, a little bit of conversation dating taking out spending money you know whichever mm-hmm. So seeing stuff like that blew my mind. And, it, and it, frankly, it still does today. I, I can't, <laughs> the way that, that, uh, women in particular are just so quick to mm. hook up with guys like that. That was something that was totally different from what okay. I, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was, um, that, and then, and then, you know, you come back to the old neighborhood and you see that the old neighborhood isn't the same anymore. They've either tore buildings down or they put new buildings up. Um, one thing that was quite an eye opener, though, and and something that I learned a lesson from, is when I came home, I had friends, you know, before I had left, and so yeah. I, I thought, you know, oh, maybe I'll, I'll look some of my old friends up, right? So anytime you've been gone that long, that's never a good idea, I don't think. I think that okay, that it, well, it was only because the ones that were probably worth looking up, I couldn't find anymore because they didn't want anything to do with me, and I didn't really blame them. And then the ones that I that I could find uh, were in the same exact spot that I'd left them 10 years ago, living in their bedroom and their mother's house looked the same. I mean, every they're dressing the same, everything. It was like I'd never left. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so so the lesson for me at the time was when you when you take on that new life, you got to leave everything behind. And that some of the old people, too. That's fair enough, man. So how did you meet your um your now wife her and i have known each other since since i was a teenager or since oh, okay. we were teenagers yeah and and so uh we we were never romantic with each other we mm-hmm. it wasn't anything like that that was more on me than anything else mainly by my actions i mean i was a kid i looked like a kid uh yeah i didn't i didn't really get into like physical development 
until I had mm-hmm. gone in. So, I mean, I was six, four and weighed about 195 pounds, you know, real, real thin, you know? Gotcha. Just, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until later because she'd come up to visit. She's, she's also friends with, uh, with my family too. Yeah. Um, and so she had come up to visit with, with my grandmother and there was just something about when we saw each other and we started talking to, it was, there was something there that wasn't there before. I got you. And, I know everybody would, would think like, um, oh man, a guy's in there, you know, he hasn't been with a woman in this long and he's just must be dying for, you know, the, <laughs> to yeah. tell you the, to tell you the honest to God truth, when I was doing my, my recovery and, and reading my self-help books, they all said, don't get in a relationship. So okay. my plan was not pursuing any type of relationship. So it was, it was actually a curveball. It, it was something, I don't want to say it was unwanted, but it was something that I totally wasn't planning for or expecting to go towards. Yeah. It, oh, it that's was, when, that's, that's when these things happen, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Soon, as soon as you decide, okay, I'm not going to get in a relationship, you know, they'll, they'll come along and catch you with you. <laughs> yeah. Catch you yeah. off guard. Yeah. yeah. That's, and that's pretty much what it was too. Okay. That's cool, man. So take us through the next couple of years then. So in terms of what you're doing now, um, the business you're working in, the kind of work you're doing. The first, the first couple of years coming home was tough. There was, there was some ups and downs. I had to get used to stuff. Not, life is peaks and valleys, you know? So there was, there was getting used to how society works, what my place was in it. Um, one thing that I, I didn't have a problem with, and it was something that i really jumped in head first was was the work um, okay I, I told myself i was going to make it the whole time i was in there i'm going to yeah, make man. it i'm going to make it i'm going to make it so when i got into this line of work uh, i was working in an oil refinery okay uh, as a millwright and and when i got into this line of work there's there's a lot of opportunities for overtime mm-hmm. so anytime overtime hey can somebody i can stay Hey, can somebody stay? I can stay. So gotcha. I was constantly like taking these overtime deals and just burying myself in work. My wife was doing well in work. We ended up doing well for ourselves and and making money and 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 saving and and uh, and kind of deciding what we wanted to where we wanted our future to be. And mm-hmm. we we realized that Southern California wasn't it. It was just kind of too crowded in the L.A. area. So we had gone on vacation to Northern California to the Bay area, not like San Francisco uh, itself, but the outlying areas. And, and it was just this beautiful country, you know, Napa and these different nice areas that is just nice rolling Hills and vineyards. And so we thought, wow, this would be a great place to raise our, our kids. So, so we put a plan into effect where we're like, we're going to move up there. And, and we did. And when that happened, uh, you know, God, (laughs) You, you probably heard the thing, uh, just like we we're talking about relationships, you know, you plan not to get into one and you get, yeah. one. Uh, yeah, yeah. saying, uh, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Right. <laughs> so, so I had made sure that I had a job lined up for me up here. My wife made sure that she had a job for herself. Well, when we moved, she ended up getting a huge promotion and we had wanted to make sure that our daughter was going to not be in being brought up in daycare that she was okay. going to uh, have a good education. Cause when we were in LA, she was just, she was a daycare baby. And so sure. it came to where we were able to, 
I was I was able to stop mill riding and get into other stuff and and mm -hmm. stay home and and do the homeschooling with my daughter. Um, my wife was able to take her promotion, and she also helps with the homeschooling as well. But mm -hmm. we were able to kind of uh, rearrange our lives to where we didn't have to have her in daycare, and we can and we can homeschool her. Her being my daughter. And so, how yeah, old is she? How old is she now? She's eight. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's it's been a ride because nothing turned out exactly how I thought it would, but I wouldn't change anything. Like it's all great. Yeah. So so you just kind of learn to go with it, I guess. Just make sure you're doing the best you you can do. What more can anybody ask for, man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, firstly, let me say uh, let me say congratulations because thank you. It's uh it's an inspiring story and I love hearing I love hearing people turning bad situations into good, positive and inspiring ones. I think, yeah, it's just, it's always, I never get tired of hearing stories like that. Me you too. Know, Cause you know, not, never. Cause what it, it just shows whatever situation someone is in, mm -hmm. you can, you can turn it around if you've got the right, I think it all begins with the mind. You know, I'm, I'm very big on mindset because yeah. I do think mindset is everything. You can put two people in the exact same situation same circumstances and depending on their mindset they can come out completely differently i actually have a have a, a couple sentences in in the book that's coming out the code that are okay. almost exactly what you just said oh, okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i agree and, and i'm saying that because i agree with you a hundred percent yeah thanks man absolutely i think it's a very empowering thing to hear but mm -hmm. some people seem to want to re reject that message or push back against it and I always find that a, a little bit bizarre because I can't think of anything more empowering than the thought of, you know what, regardless of your starting point or what you've been through or what you've done, there is a way which is on you that you can set your brain, you can set your actions and you can, whatever it is, you can overcome this, you can put yourself in a better situation. So I don't know why, yeah, I don't know why anyone would want to push back against that. I find it kind of weird. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and and I will tell you this, the biggest, but hands down, I, I, I put a tweet like this out there the other day, but hands down, the biggest pushback that I mm -hmm. see in self-development is, is accepting responsibility. Hands down. It is. It is. I, yeah, absolutely. I, by a mile. And, yeah. and I mean, to the point to where I've had, this is, this is a, a term I learned last year, uh, free will atheism. Okay. I've had people actually hit me in the DMs mm -hmm. and and it's with the idea that we don't have free will. We are oh, okay. We aren't responsible for mm. our actions because we have been shaped by everything around us. And the idea of intersectionality comes into play with this as well. Too. Yeah. Like, so it, like it, everything is, is shaping us constantly. Yeah. So therefore we could never be a hundred percent responsible for our actions mm -hmm. because we've been shaped by something else. So me, we should so we should abolish prison. Yeah, and, well, and crime and law and everything we'll else. Check, we'll check it out. It's funny that yeah. you say that because one of the free will atheist guys that I talked to, mm. that's exactly where his line of thinking was. And and the thing is, is this guy teaches philosophy in prisons. So oh, really, kind of an, yeah, kind of an interesting take on that. But I think it's the most empowering, like you were saying, the most empowering thing. So we have two problems, right? And I can say, well, this is my problem, or I can say this isn't my problem. Well. If I say something's my problem, then by the very 
definition of me defining it, I can mm. fix it, right? Because Absolutely. it's mine, right? Yeah. But if I say something somebody else's problem, oh my God, you're gonna you're gonna make yourself schizophrenic that way, you know? Because because how can you ever solve anything? Everything's no. happening to you, you no, know. You, you, and, and you can't. Yeah. So it's totally empowering. I, I totally agree with you. In the code, I speak of mindset. There's a whole chapter developed to mindset. Okay. Uh, I break it down into three parts. There's the positive aspect and mm -hmm. not positive in the sense to where like life is a Disney movie and, you know, everybody's happy and hugging hands or, yeah. or holding hands and stuff. Positive <laughs> in the sense that you are positive in your success that you will be successful and you're going to learn from your errors. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's, that's that positive mindset to me. Education would be the learning from your errors. That's the next step. Educate yourself, learn from your mistakes and constantly make yourself better. And you do yeah. that through education. And then the last part of the mindset is the momentum, which is, is to keep the ball rolling. Uh, you don't stop. An example yeah. would be in ancient times, if you had a stream, uh, a stream of water, the mm -hmm. ancients would refer to that water as living water. Uh, they, okay. called, they called it such for a couple of reasons. Number one, it moved. <laughs> so it was like it was alive, right? The yeah. water was moving. Okay. And another reason why was because if the water was moving, it was probably good to drink because nothing's getting the chance to collect in it and whatever. Mm -hmm. So it was probably good drink. The opposition of that would be stagnant water. That's yeah. where like you'll get mosquito larvae and all types of nasty stuff, right? So if you keep that momentum going, you're like that living water. Okay. Going, things are going to keep going. When you stop, you become stagnant. Mm. And, and being stagnant, whatever you are, is no good. Yeah, I'm constantly, constantly reading, constantly talking to new people, taking in new info, and learning new skills. It's, why, it's part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast beyond just uh, having the opportunity to talk to a, a broad range of cool people with inspiring stories, but, uh, also, also to learn how to, how to do it to, you know, it's a, it's a challenge. Like yeah. this is the sixth or seventh one I'm recording now, but I'm already finding myself stuttering less and feeling more yeah. confident about doing it. And it's, totally. it's one of those things. Yeah. It was, I'd been thinking, I'd been toying with the idea for a while and then yeah, 2019, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to reach out to all these people I follow on Twitter and who follow me and who we, I have good conversations with online. Let's, let's get them on Skype. Let's record it. Let's yeah. put it out there. And who knows how it will grow and who knows who will benefit from it and be inspired by it. I can tell just by peeping your account that you, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a hustler, man. You're, you're, you're trying to make things happen. And that's that type of mindset that you need. Not, not necessarily where you're trying to, um, hustle in a good way or a bad way, like being a, a, a hustler, but the yeah. mindset of staying moving. You, you mm. want to learn, you want to move, you're not standing still. And that's, that's the thing is if, if you stand still too long or, or, or you lose your momentum, you're going to get run over. Life's going to pass you by. People say the rat race or a race, it's very much like a race and you got to keep yeah. up or it just goes on without you. That's true. Everything, everything always keeps moving. And if you're not, uh, if you're not progressing, I almost feel like you're, you're regressing. Mm -hmm. It's it's actually, it's actually quite hard to stay still Yeah. and a, and a lot of things. I mean, I use a lot of gym analogies, but as you know, as someone who works out, you know, if you stop, if you stop training, it's not like you maintain everything that you've built up. It's like, no, over time, it slowly, mm -hmm. slowly get weaker, slowly get a little flabbier, you know, like the muscle starts atrophying, the, the, the fat starts just to stay where you are. You've got to keep running. It's a little bit like a, like a treadmill. 
And then you right. got to run, got to run faster if you want to actually make progress. Coming back a little bit to the uh, thing you were talking about, the was it the free free will atheist? You said that's called determinism, right? I guess so, it would be. I hadn't yeah. heard the term oh, free okay. will atheism before. Like that was something I learned in 2018 to where I was going, wow, that's a thing. okay. <laughs> and the yeah, guy was I... explaining it to me. Um, there was actually, uh, he shot me a link. So I suppose any of you listening could, could look it up as well. Somebody did a TED talk okay. on it. Like there was a TED talk on free will atheism and how we're responsible for everybody else's actions. And oh my goodness. Yeah. It's a bit of a bizarre concept. I have heard about it. And, you know, there's a lot of super intelligent people who believe in determinism rather than free will. So determinism is, yeah, everything is already determined mm -hmm. and it's not. The way I understand it, it does boil down to you are not responsible for your own actions and outcomes. And I can't I can't think of a I mean, you can you can do all the intellectual intellectual Back masturbation flips. around it. Yeah. yeah, that you that you want to do. But at the end of the day, that's not a useful philosophy mm -mm. for yourself or for anybody else. Because number one, you're unlikely to pursue big goals and achieve them if you do believe that your life is just on a track. Especially, I'd say, especially if you're from some kind of underprivileged background oh, wow. or difficult for background, sure. right? It's easy to just go, oh, well, screw it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't meant for me to be right. successful. So I can't think of a worse message to give to someone like that. And then also, secondly, the way you treat other people, if you treat somebody as if they do not have free will, you're not going to have a good relationship with that person for very long. Right. right. As, as we're sitting here having this conversation, this conversation is, it's based on the idea that you have free will and I have free will. If I just look at you like you're some kind of robot who's not, yeah. who's not actually in charge of every word that comes out your mouth, you're not really it's not, you know, it's not really your own free thought. It, that was just your your background and your experience and, you know, your intersectionality. It's like, right. what, a terrible, what a terrible way to, <laughs> what yeah. a terrible way to view the world. That's what I think anyway. That's my personal it, it opinion. Is, it's, it's one of those ones. It's, it's like a depressing way to view the world almost. And, and here's, if I can expound on this, just this is why I think so. Okay. okay. I think that, and this is going to sound kind of like it's in juxtaposition of, of each other, but I believe that your problems and suffering breed happiness. Yes. Okay. Um, I believe that the more you battle, mm -hmm. the happier you are or you become. Mm -hmm. I believe that the absence of strife, difficulties, problems, whatever you want to... We, we have come in the society, we, we strive to make everything more attainable uh, through ease. Right. So now you don't need to go to the grocery store because the grocery store delivers their food to you. Right. It, it's they, they made it easier for you. Right. Uh, our whole society is set up like that to where we're just trying to make things easier. That's why everybody's so depressed. I had this conversation with my girlfriend literally two or three days ago. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, do you follow Jordan Peterson's work at all? I, I to some degree. Um, yeah. Well, one of one of his big core messages is the meaning of life and actual happiness and fulfillment, let's say fulfillment more than happiness, sure. that actually comes from bearing a load and carrying it. So if you think of what it is that makes you feel fulfilled, makes you feel like you're progressing, it all it's all connected to taking on more responsibility. Yes. So whether you're talking about relationships, you're talking about marriage, you're talking about becoming a father, I'm not a father myself, mm -hmm. but 
each each of those things that's taking on more responsibility getting a job getting a promotion building a business these are all taking on more responsibility willingly oh yeah and so his answer to people who are i guess feeling lost or feeling depressed or feeling anxious it's actually pick up a big weight metaphorically and mm-hmm. carry it and that will give your life meaning right yeah so that so that's the danger as you're saying with with making everything too easy and too comfortable you then people have nothing to strive for i mean it's interesting i mean depression is a is a modern western phenomenon really something that people deal with in the developed world if you go to places where people are still struggling to satisfy the basic needs depression as far as i'm aware it's it's not it's not a thing there people don't talk about depression they don't it's have not, time for it <laughs> no no because you, your your mission is already there right your mission right. is it's it's survival. It's okay. We got to We got to eat. We got to go get the food. We got to go get the water. We've got to we've got to work. We've got to do this. We've got to tend to the land. We've got to tend to the animals. Like your your mission is there. There's yeah. nothing to think about, right? If you've if all those things are already satisfied, you've got a roof over your head. You've got running water. You've got food. You can just access stuff at a click of a button. You then need to actually create your own thing. Yeah. Right. You have to. You have to. And you have to think about that. You have to consciously think. Okay. Like, what can I do? to make my life more difficult almost, right? <laughs> Which sounds a bit bizarre, but I think well, that's you know, what it is. You know what a good example of that you see with, with people and their children? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something. My grandfather owned an aviation business. I grew up learning, I knew how to fly airplanes. And, and they refer yeah. to him as, as Stoll Aircraft, uh, which stands for short takeoff and landing. These are usually like, the, the, like uh, Cessnas, Beechcraft, mm. you know, small planes that have like a single or maybe a maybe two props, you know, but not not yeah. like jets or anything big, right? Mm. Uh, so I grew up flying those planes with them, and and uh, but my grandfather was an extremely hard man, okay, hard man, like the most hardcore man I have ever met in my life. Okay, <laughs> women loved him because he yeah. was he was like James Bond with the ladies, you know. So you <laughs> ask any women, and they're like, oh, he was so great and this and that, but he was a completely different person around men. Okay, okay, so he was totally hardcore dude. Built this business for himself. Um, came back from from the war. Uh, became you know he was a pilot for American Airlines, and he started his own business. Built this stuff up. Bought himself a, a vacation house. Had his other houses. Made something for himself, right? Because mm. he took on the responsibilities. Took on more responsibilities. Had the burden, like you're talking about, and yeah. made something for himself. His two sons uh that because my my father had had died and and uh, they they had another son which had also died as a matter of fact my father and my uncle died six months from each other so i mean damn hard hard life on him and my grandmother right yeah but but the two remaining kids uh to this day are just drunks and drug addicts Mm. nothing why yeah because they didn't have to do anything they had it there was no struggle where they were going to be put out there was nothing for them ever to where it was like, if you don't do this, you aren't going to eat. Yeah. Like you're going to. And, and so what happens? And, and that, this story isn't unique. I've seen that so many times with, with either friends of mine or people that I knew that were around my age that had these parents that were wealthy, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they were usually either immigrants or like some other thing where they came from somewhere and just worked their, their butt off. Right. Yeah. And then the kids were just dope fiends. Didn't do anything. Mm. You know, they're, they're to this day, 40 years old and still living at home, you know, to where it's like, cause they, they had no struggle. There was nothing. No. 
people may not like me for saying this, but when we were talking about depression earlier, I believe that the symptoms that people are experiencing from depression, and I guess, I guess in a sense, the, the diagnosis itself can be real. I also believe that depression is a disease for people that can afford it. That yeah, I know. You, no, I understand. I, I understand what you mean completely. Because if, if, if you're hard up, you can't afford to be depressed. Mm. You got work to do. Yeah. So it's, and, and I know, I know many may not agree with that, but. It's one of those topics where people understandably, you know, can get a little bit, a little bit touchy. And it seems like there's certain politically correct views and non-politically correct views. But I think if you go by all the PC ones on that, I think you can actually cause people more harm in the long term and in the grand scheme of things. Rather than again, we were we were talking, spending a lot of time talking about personal responsibility. So, if you can, if you make it too easy for people to just say, "Oh, you know what? It's not me. It's the depression." If you if you just categorize it as a disease and say it's some ailment and it's something that's affecting you, rather than something that you are able to affect, then okay. I think that becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. I'm I'm no I'm no expert on this matter. Right. So if someone is listening to this and you're like, no, you're completely wrong and you want to come on and talk to me about it, I'm happy to have that conversation. But um, like one of my previous guests was saying, you know, he was saying he doesn't he does not believe in depression. He thinks it's like he thinks he thinks it's like a ghost. So that's Tate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so him so him not believing in it, that Mm -hmm. means that he can't even be impacted by it. Just like if you don't believe in ghosts, you can't think your house is haunted and you cannot be afraid of ghosts because you do not believe in them. So yeah. like I was saying to him, whether that is scientifically, bio- biologically, whatever, whether that's right or wrong, that is an empowering belief because it will insulate you from it. You're not going to, even if you're feeling down, even if you're feeling negative, you will recognize that and you'll be like, okay, I need to take certain steps. I need to work sure. out certain things in my life. I need to work out why I'm in this state and I need to take action to improve it rather than trying to take something external like a like a drug or you know certain types of therapy or whatever that uh may not help it but you know as i said i'm open to different opinions if someone's got a different opinion on that then you're always welcome to hit me up send me a message and uh, <laughs> maybe we'll get you on the podcast as well my wife is in the medical profession and okay and, uh, from from her training mm-hmm. she may have a different opinion than like than your your I may have, you know, sure. Uh, but we're, we're speaking of depression, but that the same rule of thought that you were just speaking of can apply to so many different spectrums. I said, I said something earlier. Uh, I actually tweeted out something. I'm going to paraphrase because it's not in front of me, but it said, um, mental health is a spectrum. People don't mm-hmm. like to think that people like, oh, yeah, to yeah. Think like, like either you have mental health issues or you're fine. Like, no, no, like it's just, it's either black or white to where it's a lot like autism (laughs) where they say like autism is a spectrum, you know, Mm -hmm. to where, uh, you know, some people are just a little bit more mentally fit than others. I believe that too. And I believe that the way that you get there is, is through the accepting responsibility because you can put so many different, oh, that's just my, that's my OCD. Oh, that's my bipolar. Oh, sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say all those mean and hurtful things to you, but you know that I deal with that bipolar, right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because it's something else. It's not me. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think whenever you start doing that with anything, mm -hmm. again, I just think it's regardless of the level of truth that there may or may not be, I just don't think it's I just don't think it's useful. I just no. don't think it's useful. I don't think there's any use in telling people, okay, you're, I don't know, take someone who is from an underprivileged background. You don't help and empower them by just telling them nothing is your fault, nothing is your responsibility, nothing is your accountability. It's not saying that you are to blame for the situation. Obviously not. People don't choose where they're born or what conditions they're born into. Right. However, regardless, it's that it's your life. Mm -hmm. And you're ultimately, no matter what, you can point at whoever, but ultimately you're going to be responsible for your own actions, your reactions to the things that happen to, that happen to you or near you, and the way that you the way that you deal with that, and to some degree your outcome. I mean, given enough time, maybe not in three years' time, but if you live for eighty years, certainly if you you're, you're born say in the Western world, okay, mm -hmm. and you, somewhere with tons of opportunities, no question. Mm -hmm certainly comparatively, you know, sure. maybe where you are in five years time, that's not going to be completely up to you. But over the course of your entire lifespan, there's so much opportunity out there that I don't buy the argument that even if you started out in a crap situation, I understand that's rough. Certain things will be harder for you. But given 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, yeah. you can put yourself in a much better position. Oh, and so, And so many millions of people have done that that that's not just my personal opinion. That's like a fact. People can do it. So if right. other people can do it, the next person can do it. It's not saying it's easy, but it can be done. This is, this is how people can, can be behind prison walls and say that they're free. Okay, free okay. on the inside, okay? By accepting... What, what could be more pleasing than saying... Hey, you got to go sit in the back of the car or the bus, right? Or you get the keys and you could be the driver. Mm -hmm. okay. One saying, hey, you go sit in the back of the plane by the tail. Or the other one, you could be the pilot. Yeah. For me, it is so liberating and was so, it was the way that I was able to be free while, while in there was the fact that I did have a choice and was responsible for everything, even mm -hmm. while I was in there. Yeah. Right? who I chose to interact with, how I interacted with them, any, all, any and all it's, yeah. it's on you. There's nobody in there puppeting or pulling the strings. And it is such a liberating, freeing experience. Once you go, you know what? It's not other people's fault, man. This is me. I'm yeah. doing this. Yeah. yeah, totally. And, uh, oh, I wanted to ask actually, when you were, when you were inside, what books did you find that really helped you? Were there any particular books that, uh, helped you shape how your mindset is now? Yeah, I would say if there's anybody out there that's like seriously uh, wanting to to change their outlook, but they are also the type of person that's like data-driven and, and more fact-driven than they are feeling-driven, mm -hmm. uh, there's a book, this guy was a psychiatrist, so he, he had an MD, he, and he, was, he actually, uh, he was a doctor in the military before he started his own psychiatric practice. Uh, he's no longer living, but his name was M. Scott Peck. And the book that he wrote was called The Road Less Traveled. When people asked me if there was any particular book or whatever that had a shift on my thinking or really helped, that's always the that's always the one that I let him know. The Road okay. Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck. Okay. 
I haven't read that myself, so I will have to check that out. Because great book. Okay, I'll definitely yeah, have to and, check that out. And, and he's and like I said, he's he's a doctor, so when he's when he's trying to explain things to you, it's not like he's coming from a place to where he's like, well, I feel like this, or I mm. think that that he's he's coming, he's breaking everything down, even on biological level. Sometimes where you're like, oh wow, okay, so yeah. great book, great book. Okay, awesome, yeah. man. And okay, so what is next for Bobby Dino? You've got your you've got your book coming out. Uh, yeah. What's it called, and what's the plan for that? Okay, so so the book is called The Code, a guide to masculinity and awareness. Is the is the the, the cover <laughs> behind me? Um, that uh, is going to be released on February fifteenth. Okay, as the the subtitle suggests, uh, it's it's a guide not to not to masculinity and necessarily the sense of um, how do I be a man so I can go take over other men. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a guide in the sense of what if there's people out there that are like me that didn't have the father growing up? Cause I know there's a bunch yeah. that, that didn't have the father growing up that didn't have a, a good male role model in their lives to kind of break stuff down to them and tell them, Hey, you know what? This is what you need to do. This is how you should get that. This is how you should think. That's who I wrote this book for. Okay. I wrote it for, for people that, that a didn't have someone to tell them. And B, there's a there's a section in the book on, on situational awareness and and uh, because that's also the, the the other part of the subtitle is the self awareness, and it's it's also for the people that may not know how to present themselves to the world. Okay, okay. Uh, people that like like if you're if if you're the type of person to where maybe you don't like to go to parties because you don't want to have to talk to people. <clears throat> Or maybe when, when you're around a group of people, you kind of like to go and stand off the side or you get those anxious feelings or, or, oh, are they looking at me or, or you, or you're afraid even to, okay. to go out. It's for you. This is, this book is so that you can be confident when, when you step out the front door that you're being a good man and you don't have to worry about anything. Well, that sounds, that sounds very positive. Cool. That sounds very positive. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of people listening to this who will appreciate that. So that is Good. the code, a guide code. to masculinity and self-awareness. And that's February 15th, February 15th. And you'll awesome. be able to find that, uh, on my website. Uh, and it's real easy to remember bobbydino.com. Boom. Easy. And where can people find you on Twitter? Twitter handle is real Bobby Dino. So that is real Bobby. That's Dino D I N O for anyone Correct. listening. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Awesome, man. It's been really good to talk to you, Bobby. Your story is very inspiring. I will continue to follow. We will continue to talk. And yeah, it's been great to have you. you. No doubt, man. We'll fun, man. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely get you on here again in the future. Okay, right on, man. Nice Thanks one, man. Me. Have a good one. Uh -huh. You too. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.